your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me here in studio, my good buddy Kevin Woodley. Kevin, what's going on, man? Not much. A little bit, uh, a little bit of a uh, a little frantic helter skelter getting started, as they say. But, yeah, uh, we got it in the building. We're all right. We're here, uh, and it's always good. Whenever we're hanging out in here, spending fifty minutes together, it's always a good time. Hopefully, today will be the same. Here's our plan. We're going to play the role of goalie matchmaker. We're going to try to pair up goalies with teams. Uh, I think it feels like over the past couple off seasons, you and I have been doing this for a few years now. It feels like there's been sort of this like goalie carousel, revolving door, goalie switching teams. Um, over the past couple off seasons, it feels like we're headed for another summer in that fashion. So I thought we could have some fun kind of trying to identify goalies with fits because, you know, often with skaters, we think of it that way right we we identify a skater skill set their strengths weaknesses and then you try to match them up with a system and a team that makes sense stylistically right you never really go oh well this guy who attacks off the rush we're gonna put him with this extremely sort of low event dump and chase team and they're gonna thrive but for whatever reason with goalies we do do that right we like we just look at save percentage and we say all right well take this goalie put him on this team they're going to be the same way. And that's you and I have talked many times on the show. That's often not the case, right? There are certain stylistic strengths and weaknesses that we need to match up with specific defenses in front of them. A lot of mistakes made at this time of year, just assuming that he's a good goalie. He'll be good on our team. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of transposing save percentage, right? You go like, Oh, well he was a nine fifteen save percentage goalie here. We're going to put him on this team. He's going to do that again. And then when they don't, we're disappointed and we're like, oh, well, the goalie position is very volatile. What do you expect? And in reality, maybe we should have done more scouting. Do you think it's a matter of us just not having the right information in terms of like data or like descriptive tools? Because other than, I guess, just watching all of the tendencies and like the technical component of it the way you do, a lot of us aren't equipped that way. So we just kind of go with the path of least resistance, which is the the save percentage and you know goal save above expected that we have available to us. Yeah, I mean, to a certain degree, like there's good goalies and then there's good teams and mm-hmm. bad defensive teams, and part of that, you know, like there's there's sort of a basic level of data. But I think for the most part, um, there are too many teams that aren't looking deeply enough and not sort of cross referencing what this goalie is best at. Or maybe more to the point, where his weaknesses are. Like there are, there's, there's very few perfect goaltenders, right? Like the whole position is a give and take. If I take more, like there's a sliding scale. If I take more ice and play more aggressively, I'm more susceptible to backdoors. If I play deeper and in my crease, I'm more exposed on open looks from the middle of the ice and the and the high slot. And where those are very simplistic examples, but. I don't even. I don't know how much teams even look that much into it, and we have data that can match um, specific scoring chances. Like, so if a goalie is like, say, an like an elite level goaltender, and he's good at nine out of ten things, and there's one thing that's a relative weakness where you say just around expected or slightly below expected, but you happen to be the team that gives up the most of those in the NHL, expecting that goalie to continue to have the success he's had elsewhere where he hasn't faced those types of chances, like it just, you're going to see a regression. Um, So, you know, you can plug and play to a certain extent. There's no perfect answer here. There's no perfect formula because the teams change. The personnel changes around them. Um, But certainly we can, based on system, coaches change, systems change. But certainly 
if you have consistency in those elements, at least from a coaching and systems perspective in terms of what you expect to give up in front of your goaltender, you should be able to make at least more educated guesses or more educated decisions when you're picking a guy who fits behind it. Um, the problem, I think part of the problem is like, you know, and, and I'm biased, right? Like, so I have access to ClearSight Analytics, and I'm going to use those numbers if I can get the Wi-Fi going here to for, to fuel much of this during, during the break, we're going to get you on, and then when we come back in the second we're half, you're just going to be spouting off stat after stat. And so it amazes me that there are a lot of teams that don't have this data. Mm. It really does, because I see decisions being made in goal by those teams that, I mean, I've called them at the time, like that summer, like this isn't going to be a good fit. And a year later, they're stuck with a guy who's got another three or four years left on a contract, making four to $5 million a year, wondering what they're going to do and why it didn't work. Okay. Well, without naming names, let's talk about that process a little bit. Cause I think, I think people would be curious to know more about that in terms of what, like, let's say the off season, right? You have your scouting meetings, whatever you're making your decisions in terms of targets, what you want to identify, let's say, and many teams in this this summer in particular have a lot of openings, right? They have only one goalie say, signed to an NHL contract. Like pretty much a third of the league starters has changed. Like a third of the league has changed starters last summer. Yeah, and, and will be, again, I think. Depending on, you know, does Freddie Anderson and Auntie Ranta go back to Carolina? Like there's still questions, but we could see up to a third of the league change again. Right, so in terms of the process, is it a matter of if you're like a GM, you're just deferring to your goalie coach in terms of a, a, a goalie they particularly like to work with or they give you a list or you, you kind of run it by them before you make that decision? Because for on the skater side, right, there's so many checks and balances you got to go along the way. Obviously, every hit or miss gets directly attributed to the GM in charge. That's kind of part of the gig. But for the most part, it's never as unilateral as a GM just saying, oh, I like this player, so I'm going to go out and sign them or I'm going to trade for them, right? You, you have pro scouts, you have your, your assistant GMs, you're running it through many different voices and, and opinions. In this case, though, a lot of these people are not really equipped with like the background to uh, evaluate goalies in that fashion, right? So really, you only have the one guy in your organization, unless you're like a team like the Florida Panthers and you have the, the, the full department, of course, um, to actually kind of bounce these opinions off. So it kind of comes down to, I guess, just the goalie coach and who they want to work with. Or how, from your no, understanding, no, how does no, that work? It, it doesn't. It, it depends on the organization. Okay. Uh, I know organizations that have made mistakes in goal uh, on a personnel side and seen the goalie coach question within that marketplace in the media because the goalies continue to fail. And behind the scenes, no one full well, at first because I know the guy well enough to know that that decision in free agency doesn't fit what I believe his preferences to be. And then in some cases, I'm able to later confirm that. So there are definitely cases where the goalie coach isn't as much a part of the mm. decision. They're just kind of giving it and be like, all right, work with it. Yeah. Here's a good goalie. Make them better. Yes. Make them fit. Right. You know, like a lot of times, and again, this is shifting, this is changing, but a lot of times we expect the goaltender to adjust to the team. Yes. Right? Like, okay, we've got a team that defends this way. You make your adjustments. And to a certain extent, you can. Like, these are the best, whatever, 64 goalies in the world in theory. So they should be able to, you know, if you are a team that gives up a lot of laterals and you are a goalie that likes to play outside the edge of your crease off rushes, yeah, you can make an adjustment. You can play deeper. You can shorten that path to the backside so that you can get across. But again, is that, are you now playing the game that got you the contract that, you know, like, so are you asking the goalie to play the way he's most comfortable? 
Are you, or are you bringing in a guy, giving him a contract, and then saying, okay, we liked you, we acquired you based on everything you've done to here, but we're going to need you to change it all mm. now. Like, and you can to an extent, but assuming they can all make all those changes and still give you what they were before, that they're still going to be comfortable. Um, and I gotta be careful with some of the examples, but there, like, there are lots of them. You know, um, you know, a team that gave up draft capital to acquire a goaltender, signed to to an extension, and a two-year extension, reasonable money. So it was a it was a safe bet because it wasn't overly expensive. But then basically said, here's how we play, here's how we need you to play, without recognizing that they were essentially asking him to play to his biggest weakness as a goaltender. And watching that fail and being like, yeah, of course it's going to fail. Like mm -hmm. it was destined to fail. Right. Why the hell is everyone else surprised? But usually it's the goalie that gets blamed. Sometimes it's the goalie coach. And quite often, neither one of those guys have been put in an optimal position. Mm. Well, yeah, I, I think obviously save percentage matters, but for me, almost uh, I'm coming around to the idea of like how you get there is just as important, right? And that's when we talk about sort of fit and style. No, and like working it, in concert. and save percentage isn't enough, like of because I'll give you like the Jack Campbell example, right? Like that wasn't just like that wasn't about bad fit, although I would argue, given the way some of the pressures played out in Toronto and how openly things played out in terms of his interaction with the media and how much he beat himself up over failures giving him his first number one NHL you're the guy job in a Canadian market with Stanley Cup expectations, even from a you know mindset perspective, might not have been the way to go. But it wasn't necessarily anything, if you dug into Campbell's numbers, that it was like, oh, like the Oilers give up too much of this and he's bad. Like you could just look at adjusted, like the raw numbers were, what do you have coming out of Toronto, like a 919? Mm-hmm. So, there, which yeah. was like flirting with top 10. No, even in the top 10 for two years. Yeah. The adjusted numbers, the adjusted save percentage by ClearSight was in the 30s both years. That's still not bad. You're the top half of the league. But are you but a five times five? Are you a five yeah. times, you know, are you a 25 sheets guy? Number one? Yeah. Again, like it wouldn't have taken, it was two clicks on this website to tell you that's probably not a good decision. Yeah. And I don't think enough of these teams have access to that data, that type of data. Okay. Well, let's get into some of that. Let's start with the obvious name on the top of the list, right? Connor Hallibuck. So, I don't I've done this I've done this one enough because he's an easy example. Yes. That I don't need the Wi-Fi for this one. Okay, so, so we'll go. do this one, we'll go to break after and then I'm going to get you all set up. So, Connor Hallibuck just turned 30 years old, has one year left at 6.167 million on against the cap. Last year he had a 920 save percentage. Sport Logic had him at plus 17 goal save above expected, which is behind only Soros Allmark and Philip Gustafson, according to their metric. Now, he led the league in starts. And by any time interval over essentially the past seven years, which is when he became an NHL regular, no goalie has played more than him. I He's think a workhorse. And one of the key abilities of goaltenders is availability. And he checks that box. Well, here's the thing. Since 2016-17, that first season, he's played 78% of all Winnipeg Jets games in that time which comes out to an average of about 64 games per season. Obviously, that is great, right? It's it's, it's, a, rare, it's becoming um, an, a rarity at the position, right? We talk right. more and more about how teams are going more towards splits and work shares. He's one where he hasn't needed that necessarily. Now, as he's getting into his 30s, you could make an argument that that might work against him 
in terms of how much wear and tear he's put on himself. Father time is undefeated. Wear and tear matters. But I will say, like, having been able to witness it in the off seasons, like, Connor Hellebuck's rise to elite status sort of begins with working with a trainer that we know up in Kelowna, um, changing some of the body mechanics that he uses on the ice and the way he approaches taking care of that. To me, I mean, again, Father Time's undefeated, but it mitigates that risk to an extent, just knowing what this guy does, and in particular how he does it and the focus he has uh, in how he trains to move like a goaltender. I think there's anything could happen, but I think there's some durability there that, um, you know, might, you know, there's less risk there than maybe some other guys you're not, not, you know, that I'm not as familiar with. Well, I think any team, especially ones who, are looking for a starter or looking to improve would be interested in him and view him as an upgrade, right? I think he's universally considered to be a top five goalie, certainly, maybe even top three, depending on on, on your opinion of him and, yeah. and others. So there's no doubt about it. He's a fantastic goalie. And as you said, like in terms of strengths and weaknesses, there's a lot of strengths and very few weaknesses. Now, for me, this is what I wanted to get into with you because we laid the groundwork for this a couple times ago that I had you on, I think it was, it's been months ago now, who knows, time is flying, but we had a conversation about whether a team like the Sabres would be a good fit for him or the Kings. And we were talking about sort of like these specific strengths and weaknesses of his and in particular, what he's really good at and what Winnipeg over the years, even when they've had issues as a team has done a really good job of insulating him in that specific area versus if he went to a team like Buffalo, what he'd be suddenly exposed to. And I think it's obviously... It's a sliding scale. No one's saying that he's going to go from being a Vesna candidate to out of the league. But it's a matter of like playing to, as you meant, as you illustrated it perfectly, playing to your strengths versus like not exposing to specific weaknesses. Yeah, because if you're the Buffalo Sabres and you're going to give up assets to acquire him, and then you, you know, I'm assuming you're doing so with the idea of extending him. Yes. Although Devin Levi being a part of your mix might mitigate how long you want to commit to a Connor Hellebuck. At the end of the day, you know, he's not free beyond a paycheck yes. costs you assets and so the point would be i'm like you're absolutely right he's still going to be Connor hellebuck he's still going to be one of the top goaltenders in the league but if you ask him to play a style that plays away from his strengths then i don't think you're gonna get what you were expecting what you were looking for and again everything's relative like he's top tier some of his numbers are off the charts good especially in straight lines like there's no goalie better in straight lines point blank slot area chances and this is where uh, a lot of the other proprietary metrics that don't include cross ice passes rank him higher than clear sight does like for example this year um, he's still again top 10 easily goal saved above expected but they have him six whereas i think you said sport logic had uh, four thank you yeah. four so they've got him six like and and for the record uc Saros should be a best no trophy finalist there is no doubt about it um but this is what happens well let's let's get into those strengths and weaknesses then is it yeah. is it a matter of his ability on those lateral plays is it like a a technique thing is it like a a, a foot speed thing like in terms of like his movement and being able to get across because he certainly looks human to my eye when you get him moving and you notice that like, especially when he's trying to get across on his feet, looks a bit clumsy doing so, obviously, relatively speaking, compared to when he's a able bit, that's to, a big body. You got when to he's able to line yeah. it up, yeah. it's like he's just it's absorbing him right in the middle of the of the chest, right? Well, first of all, slot line plays are you know, that's how offense that's why we see offense go up in the league. We're seeing more and more teams attempt these, right? So like these are the toughest chances um, you know, for every goaltender. 
Uh, but again, there are some that have more success relative to others against it. And it's one of the few areas, there's two, slot line plays and breakaways over the past five years of data where he's consistently been around or slightly below expected. Um, so around average. Mm -hmm. And when you look at how good he is at everything else. That stands out. It stands out. Yeah. Especially if I'm the Buffalo Sabres and I combine slot line chances against and breakaways and I'm like one of the bottom five teams in the league. So if those are the two of the areas that I give up the most amongst high danger chances more than any other team, not more than any other, but like you know, like I said, I think they were third last in one and fifth last in the other, and overall it grades out to like the fifth most expected goals in the league on those types of chances. If you're going to continue to go give those up and you're going to pay premium assets for a goaltender who that may be the one only, and again, the word relative matters here, <laughs> but the one only relative weakness in his game, yes. that makes no sense unless you're going to change how you play. Because you're now you're coming in and you're like, okay, like he's not going to make more of those saves than some of the guys you have already. Right. Statistically. And we're talking five years of statistical numbers here. Like it's not a one year blip. Like I've we've got the numbers back to seventeen, eighteen, right? And the years where he had down years were years where the Winnipeg stumbled in their ability to take that away. And that's one thing Maurice and like they still give up grade A chances. Every team does. But where they come from and the nature with, with which they were created, even on the, you know, I remember years ago what they gave up on the power play, like point, point blank looks, letting guys walk right into prime areas, but again, in straight lines. Mm. Like Hellebuck's understanding of sort of that relationship between the puck and how much space a shooter has behind him in straight lines and the ability to close off the net is like, has to be among the best in the National Hockey League, the best in the world. But when you go east-west and, and there's a time frame required to reset that positioning, um, again, the numbers don't fall off a cliff, but they drop notably to the, to the point where if you're a team that gives up a ton of those, you're not getting the best out of him. And that's sort of the only point. It doesn't make, mean he's a bad goalie. Of course. It just means you're putting him in spots where he's been less likely to succeed at the rate he has in years like last season and, and the other year where he won the Vesna Trophy and all the other years where he's a Vesna final. Yes. Yeah. Well, no, I'm with you on that, and that's why, I mean, we've been pushing back on kind of the, the idea that, yeah, Buffalo needs a goalie, but I, I, I would prefer others, especially given the price that it's going to take and then the extension. Well, hey, listen, at the end of the day, if you're bottom five in the league and slot line plays and breakaways, goaltending might not be your biggest problem. Like, yeah. Eric Comrie had the lowest expected save percentage in the entire National Hockey League. Right. Like, there are other issues there. And I would even argue for all the focus on goaltending, it might not be, like, Connor Hellebuck... I mean, outside of a very, I mean, he's in that small handful of guys, but outside of like a Shishterkin or a Saros, I don't know that you're overcoming that environment. Mm. You might need to fix either, I don't know if it's personnel or systems, but you, you're probably not going to be a team in that sort of area, that sort of ranking defensively, not just on those types of plays, but overall, and have a ton of success. Maybe you can get in the playoffs. Yeah. But history says you're not going far in them if you don't figure out how to defend those types of plays better than they have. Well, and I think that's totally fine. Like, that's the reality of, like, where they're at as an organization right now. It's like when you're young and, and offensively slanted on the way up, that is totally fine. There's going to be nights where you can just outscore your problems. It's going to affect you in terms of competing for a Stanley Cup. But considering where they're coming from, that's totally okay. And I guess my point is, especially given what you have in Levi, 
maybe for all the focus on goaltending, what I'm saying is with all those things in mind, that might not be the answer to the, maybe we're asking the wrong, maybe a lot of people are asking the wrong questions about the Buffalo. No, they are. Cause I see a lot of, Oh, if this team gets a goalie, look out. It's like, Oh, just get Connor Hellebuck on this team. And I, I, I guess what we're saying is he might not necessarily look like the Connor Hellebuck that he, that we've become accustomed to. Right. If you just plant it and listen, that's Con- Connor's a hell of a goalie. Yes. And if he starts seeing those chances on the regular, like there are adjustments he can and will make, like he's also a really intelligent goaltender. Yeah. So I feel like, like for the purpose of illustrating this point, he's become a focal guy because he's the biggest name and because there is this discrepancy in his statistics, his underlying numbers. But I feel like I'm being too critical in that. Like so so it's really important that I couch this. No, but we're not grading just so him I can... as like the best goalie in the league and then adju- right. it's adjusting like, everything to that. Right. It's not... like the Vasilevsky conversation, yes. right? Like two time cup winner, three time finalist, Vesna's still number one goaltender in the world. But relative to everything he does well, he grades out 19th on on screen chances, mm. right? Like it's one of the yes. few relative weaknesses. So when you see, and the world sees a goaltender as often as they've seen Andre Vasilevsky, you get to playoff time, what are teams going to do? They're going to attack him with screens. I think if you look at the playoffs and look at the slot line plays that Winnipeg gave up, you to know, Vegas, to Vegas, yeah. who's the team that's really good at creating them, mm-hmm. like there's a reason that series ended as quickly as it did. Yep. Okay, well, let's go. What's what are fits then? Then do actually make sense for? Are you with me? Then New Jersey is a team that would that would that would make sense for that, especially like it would involve, I assume, Vanacek going back the other way, right? He's got an extra year on his deal at, at, a, at a lower figure, and then you run with like a a Hellebuck Schmied pairing if you're in New Jersey, like because because they were significantly improved defensively last year compared to. The, the, previously right a lot was made of like their offense but i feel like just based on having the puck more and kind of um using that speed especially like you watch the rangers series in round one right and there were games where they like they weren't giving them anything that was a great environment to be playing in it was a bit trickier against carolina in round two but i think that would be a good spot for him in my opinion especially in their ability to defend off the rush um i don't think he'd be exposed to as many of those plays i think la would we've talked about them as a fit before right I think that would make sense. What do you think about those two? Or if there's another one that you you kind of go as like, if Hellebuck was in this spot, it would be the perfect marriage of player and team. Yeah, you know, like Jersey was actually pretty good. Like I think I had them like sort of middle of the pack, top top half. I'm trying to, again, Wi-Fi. But um, when I did this exercise with Connor before, um, they were a team that graded out more re- – like they were, they were pretty good – defensively when it came to those two particular types of chances like mm-hmm. they would be a better fit again i can't answer whether what it's going to cost to get him and what you're going to have to give up to of make course. that work and how long you can sign him um they do give up a little more off the rushes which is where other teams can create those types of chances um, but overall here's the thing though overall they were they were not bad they're like, like i said in terms of expected goals against um you know sixth in in the slot line plays but their goalies actually outperform slot line plays right like they were already getting you know play. so that's one where i think you need to look at where is a team did they not get the goaltending and and does connor hellebuck plug more of those holes? well that'd at the be, end that'd of the day LA. you're upgrading to one of the best goalies in the game so as long as you don't give up the types of chances that that you know he's again relatively struggles with you should be fine in theory and listen a lot of this too is you can give up a slot line play 
if the goalie knows there, there's a predictability element mm-hmm. to this, I would point to Aiden Hill and Vegas as a good example. Aiden Hill's numbers on slot line plays like Connor Hellebox are slightly below expected. But on low slot line plays, because we've got subcategories, so anything below the hash marks where that pass is completed below the hash marks in tight, Aiden Hill was exceptional. High slot line plays, plays that make him go east-west from one side of the ice to the other above the hash marks, he was well below expected. Where did the Vegas Golden Knights rank in the playoffs in terms of slot line plays overall? They were actually 13th out of the 16 teams. And you'd be like, hold on, how did this work? Like... Aiden Hill struggles with slot line plays and Vegas gave up the 13th most and they won the Stanley Cup. Everything you're telling me is a bunch of crap. (laughs) High slot line plays? Yeah. They gave up the third fewest. Mm. So again, and you can, I can look on the, now I can, now we take that as a stat and I look on the ice. Aiden Hill is huge. He's large. He gets easy. He plays deep Sean Burke style. He doesn't have to go far to get across. You're basically throwing pucks across the middle to slam it off his pads or his body because he gets there. Like, they played to his strengths. And looking at that level of granularity, as much as it's not a perfect answer to all the questions that teams are asking as they try and make these big decisions, it can give you more of the important type of information to predict whether a guy's going to have success or not. Kevin, let's go to break. When we come back, we'll keep on this topic and get into many other cases. You are listening to the Hockey PDOcast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here on the Hockey PDOcast, joined by Kevin Woodley. We're playing matchmaker between goalies who are theoretically available this summer and teams that would be interested Kevin, I wanted to get into one with you here that I think is, is interesting. So we just talked about how we don't like the idea of Connor Hallibuck for the Sabres. Can I pitch you on a goalie I do like for them? Sure. You can pitch me on anything. Can I can I pitch you on a on a little Jeremy Swayman? Man, if you're the Bruins, are you giving up the guy with the with that cap hit? Or is he an RFA this year? Does he need a new ticket? Well, let me give you let me let okay. me give you my pitch. Here. Make your whole whole case. The Bruins are absolutely I think I can I can say hooped. Uh, financially, I think that's a word I can say on radio. They have $67 million committed against the cap to six forwards, three defensemen, and one goalie. That doesn't include Forbert, Riley, Grizzlick, Orsboro, who are under contract next year, combining for $11 million. That they, Even if they dump them for literally nothing in return, they still essentially have $17 million to fill out half of their team um, without any picks as well to facilitate any of these moves or improve otherwise. So... This might be a moot point because maybe the Bruins look and say, well, we have the goalie that's going to win the Vesna this season in Linus Allmark. He's got two years left at $5 million per. I believe he's 29 years old. Maybe this is the right time to cash in on him and see if we can get legitimate value back as opposed to nothing in return. But if they are going to stick with Allmark, I just don't see any scenario where they can afford to match any sort of offer sheet against Jeremy Swayman, where if it's up to $4.29 million, it only costs a second-round pick comp in return, and there's no way they can match. They, there's no way they can pay Linus Allmark $5 million and Jeremy Swayman $4.29 next season. So like, he's your prime offer sheet work. candidate. So if Jeremy Swayman doesn't get an offer sheet, we know there's no offer sheets coming. Like and he's, here's... Cause, here's he's the per, he is, you're right. He's the perfect example. 
Well, and it would be such an inspired move for the Sabres because if you are going to move up the pecking order in the Atlantic Division, a team you're going to have to step over at some point here will be the Boston Bruins. And they've got the excess pet capital. They could even, if they wanted to get absolutely crazy, they could go up to $6 million and give a first and a third. I don't think that's even necessary. That's a bit overly ambitious. I think you could get them for the second round pick comp, but... It's a nice fit, right? Because I believe he's 25 years old in November. So you pair him up with Devin Levi. You could go with a 60-40 or 50-50 split, which would work for both guys. Makes sense from a timeline perspective given the age. And also, I just don't really see... A lot of the reason we hear for why teams don't give these offer sheets is fear of retaliation, right? We don't want to give out an offer sheet to someone else's young player and then have that team come back and try to steal one of ours. Well, if you're the Sabres, you've already signed Tage Thompson. You've signed Dylan Cousins. You're going to sign Rasmus Dahlin and Owen Power this summer. If the Bruins really want to become spiteful and try to steal, I don't know, Matthew Savoir or something, like five years from now after you've been kicking their butts for five years, they can go ahead. But that's a worry that I would not, that would not preclude me from doing something like this if I were the Sabres. And I really, like, I've been talking myself into it, right? Because you start off with, all right, Connor Hellebuck, that would make sense. He's an elite goalie. Well, doesn't make sense for the Sabres. UC Soros would obviously be ideal. He's going to become very expensive. It really feels like Jeremy Swayman could be someone that could be had for them that would not only affect a division rival, but also make you significantly better. So I like Jeremy. I mean, he's still developing too, right? Like you're getting a Yeah, only 90 there. NHL games so far. Yeah, there's, there's, there's still upside there that, that you know, with, with playing time is the, you know, so I always say goaltending is not a game of shots, it's a game of patterns, uh, to quote the great Mitch Korn, and it's about recognizing those patterns, and the more time you have in the league to sort of identify them, the better you get at them. Um, you know, listen, playing behind Boston and playing behind Buffalo, those are two different worlds. Mm-hmm. And so you do worry a little bit about how much it would translate. Certainly one of the numbers when I pull up Swayman's chart uh, right away that jumps out as a little worrisome for the Buffalo Sabres is the same as Connor Hellebuck. Okay. And again, slot line plays are the most difficult plays in the yes. league. Like these are, but we do have goalies that outperform expected on it. And the two that we've looked at for the, Buff- for, for the Buffalo Sabres so far are two goalies that haven't. And that's Connor Hellebuck mm-hmm. and Jeremy Swayman. I'm a little bit surprised at that number, to be honest with you, when I look at it and the way he plays. Um, you know, he does tend to get a little locked in low and wide a little bit. Uh, he, he's really mobile from a wide stance, but the reality is, is when you play that low, um, it still, you know, adds inefficiencies to east-west movement. Um, it causes delays. And the fact that, you know, over his NHL career so far, he's like, you know, minus, you know, he's below expected by a good six goals, which is not insignificant considering you know, the low number of chances we've seen there. So that would be, you know, a little bit worrisome. There are only two numbers where he's sort of below expected. It's slot line plays and deflections. And the deflections I can actually see based on a style thing. There's a little drift in his game on purpose in Buffalo. We talked about this last time, the idea of Allmark and Swayman off open looks actually drifting back so that they're a body in motion. Right, so like they recoil, something, right? broken plays, recoil, they can get to them. One thing you do leave yourself a little susceptible with that movement is tips and deflections because you're caught moving one way and it can be, you know, routed the other way. Or you're not, again, you are giving up some, how much space you fill a little bit. So you, you know, in theory, you would be more susceptible to deflections and that comes up in the numbers. Everything else is really good. Like everything else is really positive. doesn't give up a lot of bad goals which matters here, um, you know, but on, on, 
And when I look on high danger chances, because if you're playing behind the Buffalo Sabres, um, that's something you're going to face slightly below expected on breakaways, below expected on slot area, and below expected on slot line play. So there are some areas of his game that haven't been as exposed because Boston doesn't give up as much of those types of chances that he's going to see a lot more of in Buffalo unless they make other changes, as we talked about before. So that doesn't make it a bad bet because there are things he can do in his game to, to adjust to it. But don't expect him... You know, when you talk about save percentage, like it's to say you ain't you're not plugging Jeremy, you're not plugging any goalie from one of the best defensive teams into the, one of the worst defensive teams and expecting him to continue to run whatever save percentage he ran this year. I think he was in the nine twenties. Mm-hmm. Like his his career numbers are off the chart. Yeah, they're going to take a beating hit in Buffalo, assuming they play the same way, without him becoming a worse goaltender. Mm. So, I do like the idea of betting on the fact though that he is. 25 with limited NHL experience as well in terms of like the runway like it appeals to me a bit more from a Sabres perspective with the acknowledgement that the team itself could also improve in front of them over these next couple years as well just naturally right with the personnel getting better to the point where that's more appealing to me as a bet especially as a partner for Devin Levi than your than your traditional like let's bring in some veteran 30 plus year old goalie with well, limited well, upside, and it's like, oh, he's the he's gonna be his mentor. But I like I'd, I'd rather have these two guys to share the net and like grow together as opposed to the alternative. Well, yeah, I mean, we saw how important. Like, do not underestimate the relationship as much as people might dismiss the post game goalie hugs, the post win goalie hugs between Linus Allmark and Jeremy Swimmin. Like, there's a true partnership there. And so, yeah, if you're looking for somebody to, which very much, like if you're getting Connor Hellebuck, we talked about it, 64 games or whatever the average was, like that's not what you're getting. This is more, this would be more of a partnership. And I should add, like, as much as I dig down into that stat and like, oh, like, hey, like the Sabres give up a lot of this type of play and this is an area where, you know, he didn't have success and yes, he'll be more exposed there than he was in Boston. Like Jeremy Swimman still finished 11th in goals saved above expected. Mm-hmm. So for all, you know, the talk of the environment, um, being favorable towards goaltenders. He still outplayed it by a significant margin and has every year he's been in the NHL. So there's a lot to like. There's just a couple of chance types that, again, right. and this may go back to our other conversation, if you're Buffalo, you might need to fix how much of those yes. chance types right, you right, give right. up, that type of chance, if you're going to you know, solve this problem. Like Jeremy Swayman's expected save percentage, and I probably shouldn't have said that so quickly because I actually have it on goals at goal saved rather than well I'll give you on a per- on a permanent basis raw goal save above expected sport logic had him tied for seventh best in the league with Jake Ottinger and we should also note there's a lot of AHL and NCAA success here as well right like it's it's not necessarily just a bet on the 90 yeah NHL he's, games he's, he's played. Re- you're kind of betting on the profile of goalie that he is he's a really smart goaltender like I'm a big fan of Jeremy Swayman and, and so when I switch over here to because like I said we clear side had him at 11 so not too far off there when we look at environment, his expected save percentage was 890, which is right just slightly above league average. So again, and actually nine points below Linus Allmark's expected. Mm. He had a tougher environment because he probably got tougher starts. That's yeah. the nature of the beast as the backup, right? That's the way it works. But and, eight, and he eight, got nine, the toughest start of the season for and, them in yeah, the playoffs with, as well. With, with yes. no momentum or yeah. rhythm or timing. But he that was his expected save percentage. 890, so slightly above average. Eric Comrie's expected save percentage last year was 870. 870. 
So if Jeremy Swayman ends up in that environment, now listen, like there was there's circumstances there. Like Comrie got a lot of the starts when they were missing Michael Samuelson on the back end. And their defense was nowhere near as good. Like once that depth chart wasn't at peak power, things slipped. Pardon the pun with power, but um, yeah. things slipped significantly. And so, you know, again, it just goes to show you like it's you're not likely to get that bad an environment because Pekka Lukanen's was 884 and Craig Anderson's was 888. So it's not like the Sabres sucked in front of everyone. Eric just got a lot of the toughest starts when they were not at full health and he got hammered. But the point would be if you throw Swayman into that environment, like I'm not saying his overall numbers are going to be that far down. Eric was still above expected. Um, but he's, you know, not 20 points off expected. Like you're, you're, you're talking about, a good year being in the 905 range, not in the 925 yeah, range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are 80s numbers. They um, are. Okay, we gotta we gotta get moving. We've talked like two goalies here. This is there were false this advertising. We do. said we're gonna match make everyone, and then we just we do one. Um, well, I can't give all the data. John Gibson, a player that we have talked about a lot. I cannot quit him. I still cannot quit him. He turns 30 in July. Over the past four seasons, 902 save percentage in nearly 200 games played. He has not hit 905 in a single season in that time. Something about that, though, Kevin, just does not sit right with me. And I'll give you the floor here in a second. What I will say, this is this is obviously a matter of my head battling my heart here. But I just think if you apply a bit of common sense in terms of environment and also impact beyond just the actual personnel, I think that's an important here, right? The Ducks last year gave up 39.1 shots against per game, which is the highest recorded total we've ever had to date. No goalie faced more inner slot shots than John Gibson last year. He faced 452 according to Sport Logic. Next up was UC Soros at 431, and then no other goalie was at 400. And that's considering he only had, I think, what, 52 or 53 games played, which is 10 less than most of the other league leaders. I just, he had 14 wins. Eight of them were classified as steals for Sport Logic. I just, what I keep coming back to is I think there is some sort of a cumulative effect here that's more difficult to quantify for us in terms of playing in such a bleak environment where I don't think it's a coincidence that his number has dropped off as the team plummeted towards the basement. And I would, if you're talking yourself into John Gibson as a reclamation project, it's a matter of you put him in a more competitive environment. He, by all accounts, is a very competitive goalie himself. And that added layer of motivation would lead to better results. Talk me out of it. I, like, I could go both ways on this. Um, the buyer beware for me on John Gibson is that there are nights where I watch him play behind the Anaheim Ducks, and I swear they're just trying to kill the guy. Yeah. Right? Like, it's it's brutal. Um, and so I, I do believe that, you know, the adjusted numbers we have are, like, the fact that he finished anywhere near expected, he was just slightly below this year. Um given the types of chances he saw on a regular basis and the unpredictability of the environment in front yeah. of him. Like, I still think I would like to see him on a good team. But here's the thing. If you put him on the 95 Devils that don't give up a lot of shots, like I also have questions and I think it would be fair to have those questions. How, like, he's a really good busy goalie. Mm. Has he ever had to play behind a team where he's not busy? Because there's, there's a, and he's also a goalie that, 
like on that sliding scale between feel and technique, he slides to more towards the like the technical game is tightened up, but he they've been careful not to make him a robotic technical goaltender. They don't want to lose the instinct that makes him special. Right. And so they've tried to balance that. But with that sliding scale, the side that he's on probably comes more inconsistency, a little bit more ups and downs. And I would argue that if you put him on a team that doesn't give up a lot of shots, there's at least a risk. I'm not saying it's for sure, but there's at least a risk that he struggles to adjust after all these years of being shelled to not being busy. That finding that rhythm, finding his timing on a night-in, night-out basis with 25 shots might be a lot different than, you know, what did he average? Like over 30. Oh, and <laughs> I think like, 37 per game. Last yeah. Time. So um, obviously that's extreme. Yeah. And, but, but then you could also argue like it's hard to stay consistent. Like he's gone through everything. He's gone through periods where they got a little bit better, but then they couldn't score. Mm. Like, yeah. I mean, he's had to them. be per- like, if he, if he's won a game the past couple of years, it's been because he was by far the best player on the ice, right? Yeah. There were very few games and where he was bad and they would still win. And he's, ca- he, is capable of winning you games and getting on a run that could I think that's win a why bunch. I can't quit it. Like I watched a game against the Panthers this past season. I think he did it back to back years like in Florida, stopping bullets in his where teeth, he had fifty right? plus like, saves in each of those games. And I'm just like, I just my brain cannot come around to the idea that this guy's not good at stopping pucks. Yeah, and it, even though the aggregate tells you the past four years that he has not been good, I just for a guy who's not necessarily that old, who doesn't have that much tread on him, to be all of a sudden just lose it that way when you still see those contained performances. I don't know. Maybe I'm being foolish for thinking you could extrapolate it over a longer sample on a better team in a better environment, but I feel like there's something there. I don't think he just all of a sudden became a bad goalie. So No, uh, and there's a, but there's a lot of goalie people like that that would like to see I know there's goalie people that are worried about him like holding up in terms of like the way he plays. Well, physically. I mean, I think I think he's changed the way he trains. I was one of the people in the early days. Like, he pulls his body apart so much when he moves that it wasn't a surprise that he got injured. But I think you've seen a tightening technically of that aspect, and I think you've seen him change the way he trains to the point where I don't think that's as big a concern. I mean, he's survived relatively healthy behind, like I said, what's pretty much a firing squad. Yeah. You might as well just giving him a cigarette and a bandana over his eyes a lot of those <laughs> nights, right? Like, um, So I don't have those concerns to the degree I did early in his career. And yet there are other goalie people that like, they don't love some of the technical stuff. They think he could be tighter and that with more consistency and, and you know, for all the five bell saves, there are some that make you groan. And we've talked about how low percentage goals for as much as we focus on the big saves, you know, you're, you give up a low percentage goal, your team loses um, 87% of the games, unless the goalie at the other end also gives up a low percentage goal. And, you know, I think some of this is just volume, um, but John Gibson was tied for the most low percentage goals in the National Hockey League last year. I think it's hard to maintain your focus when the season is hopeless as it was. Yeah, it's like, even if I play well, So those moments are going to happen. But again, statistically, and some of the eye test stuff, technically, those are the questions that come. Me, Really easy to say from here. I don't have to worry about the investment in the ticket and the tournaments left on there. Yeah. I want to see John Gibson behind a good team. It doesn't have to be a great defensive team, just a good team with a chance to win. Because a lot of the stuff for him is like, there were nights where even when they were a little tighter defensively, 
they like I said, they couldn't score. And they were going to every night where it's like one or two is one or two too many. Yeah. Like you have to be perfect. It's a really tough way to play the position mentally. I used to ask goalies back in the Kippersoft days. He was the prime example of this. Would you rather play behind the team that Kipper played with the, the Daryl Sutter Calgary Flames 1.0, mm-hmm. where they were great defensively, but they didn't score? Or would you rather have a team that's not as good defensively, gives up more chances, but you know they can bail you out at the other end? To a man, every goalie says, give me the team that can bail me out and score some goals at the other end so I don't feel like I have to be perfect every night. Even if the structure in front of me is good and, it's, and it makes my life easier, the idea, the expectation that I need to be perfect to have a chance because we're not going to score any is something that a lot of goalies want no part of. And Gibson's also face that as well as poor defense. Like I just, I'm with you. I'd be more hesitant if I was actually in that position, mm. but I want to see somebody make that move. I think it's very possible. Um, well, I want to see for my- the first time. I think, I think it actually could happen this summer. And that's where you want to go in and really dig through the numbers. Like, you know, slot area, straight lines, uh, he's exceptional, which matches what you had. Slot line, not quite so much. So, yep. again, a little more east-west. But I would want to go through each and every number, what we give up as a team, and then I'm digging through the video. So if there is something that doesn't match, is there something we can either do differently to mitigate it, or is there something I can quickly change with him that would mitigate it? Because I think he's worth the risk. I'm with you. And I, I, I want to see him play on a good team. I want to see Lucas Dostal get more time as well right he's played 100 ahl games the past three years i see no reason why he shouldn't play 40 games for the ducks next year i think they're going to be improved uh with a change of coaching staff and also just better players better help like i i, I want to see that i guess i'll give you the floor here we have like five minutes left do you want to talk about we've, we've oh my god do you what's felt like we're only halfway through what's one topic what's one goalie or one situation that really you want to highlight right now that catches your eye or you think is interesting Oh man! Um, do you want to well, do I, I think Hill the Hell- Vegas, we've already do do, do... we've already done the the Aiden or we've already done the Hellebuck one. Do you want to do the Leafs? Do you want to do Hurricanes goalies? We can do. I think Hurricanes are going to bring back their goalies. So, okay. um, and they're yeah. That, do, like, scratch Aiden that. Hill. I don't want to talk about the Hurricanes Aiden goalies. Hill. I'm really curious okay. to say see where this goes. Yeah, because this is the thing. I think too many people actually dismissed his performance in the playoffs. Like his adjusted save percentage in the postseason. I said this, I think, with you or maybe with one of the other shows here on Sportsnet 650. Like, as we went into the cup final, Aiden Hill's adjusted save percentage was better than Sergei Bobrovsky's. Mm. And yet everybody wanted to hand Sergei Bobrovsky, uh, and this isn't any criticism of him, he would have been a worthy Con Smythe, but I wasn't even hearing any Aiden Hill buzz on Con Smythe. And his numbers, again, smaller sample because he came in later in the playoffs, but his numbers were better. And he wasn't insulated overall. Expected save percentage was around 890 in the playoffs. So it's not like they were. he was playing behind a team that had him facing like a 910 adjusted, and some guys did. Like his, his expected was 890. There was, he was not stingy. But if you dig in, like I talked about yeah, with I think this, they were carefully like manu- like manic- what manufacturing they gave chances. Up yeah. fit his strengths. Yeah. What they didn't give up would have exploited his weaknesses. Yep. And I think we saw that with Bob where Vegas was very good at getting to screens that other teams weren't able to get to. And there's a guy who statistically over the last... Like, these are prime examples. Statistically, over the last number of years, screens were an issue for Bob. Yep. For through three rounds, nobody got them. Vegas gets them in the final round. There are saves I'm convinced he makes that would have had us 
dropping our jaws on backdoor plays to Marsha. So I, I reround one of them on a low high cross crease, one T power play feed from um, Jack Eichel. He makes that save if uh, Aaron, if um, Ekblad isn't yep. in his way, taking away his eye. So these little granular things matter. And so how many teams look at Aiden Hill and buy on the plus three and a half adjusted save percentage? How many teams look at his four-year history? How many teams are willing to recognize that if we don't play the same way to his strengths, we might not get the same. Well, back. I think he would be smart to stay there for at least another year or two, but this is also a good time for him after that performance to sell high on himself. Kevin, we got to get out of here. Thank you for taking the time to come chat with us. Follow Kevin at Kevin is in goal on Twitter. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode of the Hockey PDO cast, as always, streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network.